0: I'm Danielle Houston. I'm the host of the podcast, The Checkup. Today, we are 25 days from the election. So this episode, one of my favorite guests is going to come back and talk about what is happening in Olympia and what this election means for us, not just on a national platform either, but here locally in our communities and in our state. Zach Snyder is the Government Affairs Director of Cambia Health Solutions. He spends a lot of time in Olympia. He also teaches at Bellevue College. So he is a great guide for us through what all of this means. Welcome,
1: Zach. Hey, thanks for having me and congratulations on uh, your new opportunity here. I'm excited to see what you do.
0: Thank you. This is my first episode uh, officially with Locked In, So... I'm, you know, about three weeks in, I think my, I think I have a little bit of my sea legs about me. So it is fun to get back into hosting this and having you with some really valuable information that I hope people will listen to and not only be informed, but really be encouraged because you have some great advice for us as we think about the election. Now there are a couple of things that I just wanted to lay the groundwork with first and that is you know we're spending a lot of time obviously probably focused on the federal elections and you know unless you live somewhere without people or internet or television you've heard and it is certainly contentious and lots of angst in this campaign cycle to say the least So hearing from Zach who can help us understand too what's happening in our state because that's where we have the impact in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. So we're going to cover really four different sections. That federal landscape and how Washington feeds into that federal landscape. What's happening at our state level and then some talks about you know the what ifs. If one person ends up elected versus another, how that changes the structure. So Zach, would you just kick us off with, let's talk about the federal landscape.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Washington state, we have all of our uh, congressional seats up for election this year, just like they all are up all over the country. So we have 10 congressional districts in Washington. And there's really two that we're paying attention to this year. Uh, The rest are really not that controversial. It seems like the incumbents are going to win in those seats. And the first is the 8th Congressional District, which is a district that spans from Issaquah all the way to Ellensburg. It's the only district in the state that straddles both sides of the mountains. And that's what makes it interesting. In 2018, the Democrats took that seat for the first time ever. This seat was created uh, not that long ago and uh, Representative Dave Reichert had it for a long time. He was a Republican. The Democrats took it over in 2018. Representative Kim Schreier took it over. Uh, She is a physician and she is a Democrat. And in fact, she is the only woman doctor in Congress and the only uh, Democrat who's a doctor in Congress. There are other doctors in Congress, but they're all Republicans. And what we've seen with that race is she's being challenged uh, by a, a relatively moderate Republican from Ellensburg. He's a, he's a young uh, person. Uh, Jesse Jensen is his name, and he's putting up some really strong numbers. Um, it looks like uh, Representative Schreier will um, likely uh, win this election, but it's, it's pretty close. Uh, Democrats thought that was on lock, and it looks very close. So that is an interesting race uh, to keep an eye on. And we're going to be coming back to the Issaquah area when we talk about state, level uh, races. So something to remember that there's a lot going on there right now.
0: Yes. And then the other district that you wanted to talk about is the 10th.
1: That's right. So the 10th district, that is our newest district. It was created in 2010. uh, After that census, Washington was awarded another district because of our explosive population growth. And who knows, maybe we'll get another one probably not in 2020, but maybe in 2030. We'll get another uh, congressional district here, depending on how things go. And since the creation of that district, that seat has been held by one person, Congressman Denny Heck. He is retiring from Congress and moving over to run for Lieutenant Governor. We will return to that race (laughs) shortly. Uh, But in this race, we have a Democrat versus Democrat. So we have uh, Marilyn Strickland, who's the former mayor of Tacoma, and former CEO of the uh, Seattle uh, Chamber of Commerce, coming in and running for that seat. She currently doesn't even live in the district, but she lives close enough that if she wins, she'd be willing to move to the district. Uh, And so she's really favored. She's the moderate uh, track in that race. And then uh, over on the other side, Washington State has a uh, uh, top two primary system where, the top two vote getters in the primary, regardless of their pol- of their political affiliation, they advance to the general. So it doesn't have to be a Democrat versus Republican. So in this race, it's Democrat versus Democrat. And the other person we have in there is uh, Beth Dolio, who is a state representative from that congressional district. She represents a legislative district in the larger congressional district. Uh, but she's really taking the left track. She's been endorsed by Bernie Sanders, for example. She's been endorsed by Pramila Jaipal, And those are the two leaders of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So she's really seen as very progressive. And Marilyn is seen as um, kind of middle of the road, particularly affiliated with the Seattle Chamber that opposed the Seattle head tax, if you remember. So uh, that's really where she made um, her uh, name is at the Seattle Chamber. So... Okay. Be interesting to see how that race turns out. Again, Maryland is favored uh, to win that race at the moment.
0: And I think too, this is an interesting theme for those who watch or listen to also track along with us. We've mentioned this in some of the past legislative updates too. The interesting things that are happening in Washington are also, you know, this sort of I don't, you know, is it a battle between moderate Democrats? and progressive Democrats that are challenging, saying that you know, the moderates haven't done enough and that things need to be pushed further along. So as Zach talks about some of these other districts, that is certainly a theme that we can connect here through some of these races, not just at the federal level, but here in our state. Absolutely. So statewide, the governor race. This is the other
1: yeah, half. That's right. So moving to the top of the ticket, so to speak, right under the president, of course, uh, is the governor. This year, it is Governor Inslee uh, running for a third term. If he what if he is successful, he would be only the second governor in our state's history to uh, win three consecutive terms of governor. There, there have actually been two governors that have served three terms, but only one consecutive three term uh, governor. And so he's, he's running for that. He seems to be favored in that race. He's running against uh, really someone who's new to the political scene. His name is Lauren Colt. He is a uh, police chief for the town of Republic, which is in Ferry County. It's in Eastern Washington. Um, he is the police chief and only officer for that town that has a thousand people in it. So pretty small town there, wasn't really well known. um, And he really busted on the scene, Culp did, when he refused to enforce a voter backed initiative that banned uh, bump stocks uh, after the Las Vegas shooting. So he is challenging Inslee. Polling shows that Inslee is is very strong statewide. Uh, He is 53. Culp is 36 with 11 undecided. That was the latest polling that I've seen. Uh, So it just shows that Inslee is running very strong and is favored to win this race. If Culp manages to pull this off, he would be the first governor from Eastern Washington since the 1930s. He would be the first Republican elected governor uh, since 1980. So uh, that would be a lot to achieve for him, Um, but he has received a, a lot of support um, in certain corners of the state. Um, so it will be very interesting to see what happens with this race.
0: Yes. And because I think it makes for good trivia, who was the last Republican governor from the 80s? Because I don't, I don't remember back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, John Spellman. He was the last person uh, to be in there. And so, okay. you know, uh, if you were around then, you're gonna know that name Spellman and we haven't had a Republican governor since. Interesting.
0: And the governor's race, you know, that again, that one gets a lot of attention. The lieutenant governor race is another this year that you call this the sleeper race. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, ordinarily, we would probably just skip over the lieutenant governor's race. What does the lieutenant governor even do? Well, the lieutenant governor is the backup governor. If something happens to the governor, the lieutenant governor becomes governor. So that's their first duty. Their second duty is they are the president of the Senate, state senate, which means that they conduct the business of the senate. They have a gavel and they talk very fast um, and they can uh, cast a tie vote. Just like in the United States Senate, the vice president can cast a tie vote in the Senate. Uh, So similar uh, thing going on here at the state level. What makes this race interesting this year is that if Biden is successful and wins the White House, he may call up Inslee to join his administration, perhaps as a climate czar or running one of the uh, agencies at the federal level. If that were to happen, then the lieutenant governor would become the governor for at least one year before a, a special election could be held. To determine who's going to be the next governor, so whoever is in that seat, they are setting themselves up to be ha- to become governor for a short period of time, at the very least.
0: Okay, so the person elected it matters. So let's talk about let's talk about the two candidates that are on the ballot, but then also this campaign that's out there might it might be more of a social media campaign for the write-in. It's all interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. So, just like in the 10th Congressional District, this race is a Democrat versus Democrat. On one side, you have Denny Heck, who is the current Congressman from the 10th Congressional District. He is retiring from that seat. He will vacate it, and now he is running for Lieutenant Governor. And he is seen as the moderate Republican, or excuse me, the moderate Democrat there. And on the other side, you have Marco Elias, who is a State Senator from the Edmonds area. Uh, he's an openly gay man, and he is running to be the progressive candidate on the ballot. Okay. And so whoever wins that race, as I said, they will perhaps uh, be elevated to that governor's seat uh, for at least one year.
0: Okay. So there are the two of them, and then there was Joshua Freed who ran during the primaries as the Republican candidate for governor. He didn't make the cut for those top two, but there's been a push for a write-in. So can you just talk a little bit about the write-in? I mean, this is one of the questions I I asked of you originally too, is a write-in vote for a candidate like Freed really a vote for the more progressive Democrat in this race?
1: Well, we don't exactly know, but uh, what you have here is, you have an individual who failed to make it onto the primary, excuse me, failed to advance from the primary to the general in the governor's race. Now he's mounting a write-in campaign, and in our system of government, you only have to get the most votes to win. You don't have to get 50% of the votes. So there will be two people on the primary, excuse me, the general election ballot, and you can always write someone in. So Freed, he has a very easy game to spell, and he's mounting this write-in campaign, and he's trying to get the most votes, but he will likely take votes away from Congressman Heck, who is that moderate. So if he takes enough votes away, from uh, from Denny Heck, then Marco Leas, the progressive Democrat candidate, he would then win that race. Writing campaigns are not usually successful. There have been some exceptions. Lisa Murkowski, who's a United States Senator from Alaska, Republican, she won her election through a writing campaign, and her name is very hard to spell, but she got a plurality of voters in Alaska to correctly spell her name and write her in, and she... Has been a U.S. Senator uh, for a long time doing that.
0: Interesting. Another great question to put in your back pocket for a trivia night, right? That's right. (laughs) So how about the insurance commissioner? And this is, you know, it's important to us, but it is also important to consumers and employers I think often there's a lot of, you know, not even confusion, but a simple state of, we don't understand what the insurance commissioner does, so maybe checking the box. The insurance commissioner makes a lot of decisions around rating of plans in our state and approving or denying those rates. There is a drive around um, who are the carriers that are approved to offer coverage in our state. So when it comes to competition, he plays an important part in that. And, you know, the consumer complaints and, you know, other areas around the legislation that happens in Washington state around healthcare. So talk to us a little bit about Mike Kreidler.
1: You know, Commissioner Kreidler. he has been around for for a while. He's running for his sixth term. Everything you said about the commissioner's office is true. This is an office that makes decisions about what carriers will be in the market, how to enforce the insurance laws, what do rates look like, what do networks look like. It's it's important for all of us. It's important for our industry. Commissioner Kreidler he's done a lot over his tenure. And he's running for that sixth term, I don't know any statewide elected official who has achieved six terms. He's been around since the year 2000. He had two opponents in the primary. One was a libertarian who mounted an actual campaign, and the other was a Republican who didn't really have a campaign. And the Republican advanced to the general uh, with Commissioner Kreidler. It doesn't really look like Commissioner Kreidler has much of a race on his hands. It looks like he's going to walk away with this one and will be elected to a sixth term. So we can expect more of the same from Commissioner Kreidler. He is a champion of the Affordable Care Act, works very hard to keep all of those provisions in place, and is an advocate for it uh, at the legislature and in other places as well uh, in Congress. Commissioner Kreidler was in Congress Uh, in the 90s for one term. A lot of people don't know that. He served in the Tacoma area, uh, which is uh, partially part of the 10th congressional district today, so he's had a long um, tenure in Washington state politics.
0: Okay, I didn't know that he held a position in Congress either, but I do remember 20 years ago or so when he was elected. So, um, okay, the state legislative landscape. Again, that theme, there are a couple of hot races here that, um, you know, hearing you talking about who's running and will tie in really well to talking about the consequences of elections. So mm-hmm. why don't you, why don't you guide us through those?
1: The state legislature, they are the ones who create all the policy who create all of the laws. The governor is the one who, of course, has to sign them into law as a final step, but also is the one responsible for implementing them. It's very important to pay attention to who is in our state legislature and the policies that they are focusing on for the state. I can't talk about all of them today because there's 147 of them, but I wanna talk about two because I believe that they are a good example of trends that we see across the state. And the first is in Issaquah. We have a race on our hands for the state Senate seat there. And this is a race between two Democrats, again, not a Democrat and a Republican. We have a incumbent Democrat state senator, Senator Mark Mullett, who is a small business owner in Issaquah. He he owns a Zeke Pizza and a Baskin Robbins and things like that, has been a member of that community for a long time is a moderate Democrat, and he is running against an up-and-coming politician. Her name is Melanie Anderson, and she is a nurse, and she is on that progressive track. She has been endorsed, though, by the governor, which is something pretty rare when the governor endorses someone who's challenging an incumbent from his same party. But Governor Inslee, he has been upset so to speak, that Senator Mullet is not supporting his new carbon tax that he wants the legislature to pass. And he thinks that if Senator Mullet is defeated, that a Senator Anderson would be a stronger vote uh, on that carbon tax piece.
0: OK. And that's a little glimpse of what is thought to be ahead for us again in 2021. What's the second race that you're watching?
1: The second race that is representative of a trend that we see across the state is in Tacoma area, or university place. We have a moderate Republican this time, Senator Steve Oban. He's an attorney. Uh, He works for Pierce County on their behavioral health initiatives. He is facing a challenge from a up and coming Democrat, Tawana Nobles, who is the CEO of the Urban League there in Pierce County. And she is posting very strong numbers. Her numbers are beating uh, Representative Oban. In the former race I was talking about, Senator Mullet is probably ahead of his challenger, but here the incumbent is losing to to an up and coming Democrat. So some of the trends we're seeing are in uh, strong Democratic areas, progressive Democrats are challenging moderate Democrats and winning in some cases. And in uh, swing areas, moderate Republicans are being beat by uh, Democrats. And so we're seeing a trend of Democrats really strengthening their majority across the state. There are a few exceptions we see to that trend on the Olympic Peninsula, for example. We do see some Democrats losing to Republicans. And that is a shift that we've seen Um, just in the demographics of who supports Democrats versus who supports Republicans across the country. The Olympic Peninsula is a former union stronghold. uh, And that was a solid Democratic area. In fact, they hadn't voted for Republicans since the 30s, since the Great Depression. That's when that area really went for the New Deal Democrats. And it's been that strong for that long. And now we're seeing a little bit of a shift Away from that, whereas on the east side of Seattle, that used to be a Republican stronghold, a so-called country club Republican stronghold, and that is just totally gone now. That is now a Democratic area. So that's a little bit of the shift that we've seen. Got it. Uh, in the last few years,
0: and that really does lead into talking about and reminding us too that you know elections have consequences. Our votes matter. And the will of the people, when it plays out, means some different things. So what do you see as some of those scenarios for next year?
1: Well, I want to talk about a few of them. First is the budget. In July, the state economist came out and projected that our state would be facing a $9 billion shortfall over a three-year period. That's a huge shortfall. Right. As a result of that, the governor called on all of his agencies to propose 15% across the board cuts. The governor then vetoed $500 million of new spending from the legislative session that just ended and looked for transfers and furloughs and things like that to save money. Fast forward to just a few weeks ago, the state economist came back, revised the forecast and said it's not $9 billion over three years, it's $2 billion over four years. So a lot less of a deficit. And that's related to strong sales during coronavirus pandemic, stronger than they thought in July.
0: And sales of what? Because I thought this probably speaks very well to what we've been doing at home.
1: Strong online sales and strong real estate sales. Real estate is the big one. So way more real estate than the economists initially thought. And then marijuana sales too. That's what what the economists have said.
0: Yeah, so clearly that is helping for the shortfall and people are busy at home, uh, online shopping and...
1: And buying new homes too. And buying new homes indeed. Yeah,
0: Yeah. all right. Um, So that's one scenario. And obviously the budget impacts all of us, but there are a couple of other places too. Like what about healthcare?
1: Yeah. Before moving to healthcare, just looking at the budget with that 2 billion shortfall, there are a few ways legislators can balance that 2 billion shortfall. You can cut or you can raise new revenue or taxes. This legislature, because it's going to become more progressive, they're gonna be more willing to look at new taxes to fill in the shortfall. Legislators are gonna be looking at a payroll tax likely they're going to be looking at a carbon tax, like Governor Inslee wants. They're going to be looking at a high income earners capital gains tax as well. All three of those will likely be on the table, along with some cuts and some transfers from the, state, from the state's rainy day fund, which has about $3 billion in it right now. Combine all three of those things together, and I think that's where they're going to go. Now, moving to healthcare, there are a few new programs that legislators want to fund, and they're looking right at employee benefits, a tax on them in order to fund these new programs. The first is public health.
0: And let's just interject here. That would be another tax, because employee benefits that are provided through the employer all, are already taxed in a number of ways. But what's the new one?
1: That's right. And these taxes would be in addition to any payroll or capital gains or carbon tax that come up. Right. Legislators are looking at public health. The Department of Health says that there's a $300 million shortfall in our public health system every two years or $150 million a year. That's what they claim. In addition, legislators are looking at a program to provide subsidies to low income people to purchase healthcare on their own. The state a few years ago passed the first in the nation public option, which is called Cascade Care, that directs the state of Washington to contract with one or more carriers to offer a standard set of benefits, but they pay providers at 160% of Medicare, which is a lot lower than what they pay in the commercial market today, Which the literature shows is about two times or 200% of Medicare. So the idea is if carriers pay providers less the premiums would be less on those plans. That will come in 21 but a part of that is a plan to fund subsidies to help people buy down the cost of those even further that's going to cost at least $100 million a year as well. So we're looking at $150 million a year for public health and $100 million a year for uh, these, these subsidies. And we already have proposals from the state of Washington to fund this using employer benefits. And the employers are totally silent at these meetings.
0: Right. They want
1: to either impose a claims tax. That means the claims that you pay, that your clients pay, you would pay a 1% tax on all of those claims. So say you paid a million dollars in claims, take 1%, send that to the state of Washington. Another idea is a covered lives tax. So they would look, you cover 100 lives and you would be taxed on those lives in order to reach an ultimate number of 100 million or 150 million, or a premium tax. So if you have a, a fully insured plan you already pay a 2% premium tax, why not bring that up to 4%? Right. Those are currently on the table. Legislators are currently debating that. And there's a real possibility that that will occur um, next year. Very strong possibility. And you'll be getting a payroll tax and an employee benefit tax, both in 21.
0: Right, and to your point, the need to have employers speaking up and being vocal about these things now is critically important because legislators, the people who are in Olympia working on policy, do care about what employers think. So every episode that we put together here, we are always asking employers to reach out and you can connect with Zach through LinkedIn, you can reach out to me and I'm happy to connect you. Our goal here is to do some things that will help and make a difference and when it comes to healthcare in particular and these taxes, I think all of us who work in this space or make decisions in this space know very well that when the tax increase that isn't paid by a third party out there that is unidentifiable. It, it is paid by us. It is paid by employers who are providing benefits and it's paid by the employees who are paying their cost shares to cover themselves or their families. Yeah. So if we're really looking for ways to help lower the cost of healthcare and manage that more effectively, increasing of the taxes on these plans, I'm, I am I guess I always kind of wonder just how, how much more can we really take on our backs to shoulder these other programs? There has to be a better way to fund them.
1: I think that's, that's smart to say. And what I want your listeners to know is that Our democracy works best when you have more voices in the arena, letting legislators know the impact of these policies on their businesses, for example. These policies are good ideas. Funding public health is a good idea. We should adequately fund public health. Providing assistance to low-income people to purchase healthcare is a good idea, but, Who should pay for it? That is the question. Should it be something that is spread across our society evenly in a tax, or should employer health benefits pay for that? The legislators, they believe that the insurance companies will pay for this. They don't understand that the employers pay for health care, not the insurance companies, and that is the education that we need to bring to them. When having a conversation about taxing health benefits to fund programs.
0: Yes. So democracy works best when there are more voices. Democracy works best when people show up and vote. Um, to that end, ballots should be mailed out, if not this week, the very beginning of next week, because we are to have our ballots three weeks before election day. We're almost, we're almost there. One of the things too that Zach shared with me earlier is that if you do want to vote in person, you can do that in Washington State. Go to our Secretary of State website or go to your county website to see where you can show up in person to vote. Washington State has removed a lot of barriers to the access of voting. So you can register on the same day You can return that mail-in ballot. You can show up in person. Your voice matters. And there are, well, there's one area in particular of encouragement that I don't think I'm very eloquent in sharing, but Zach, you did a really great job of just this encouraging around how our government is not built around one person. So can you share that with our listeners?
1: Our government's success does not rise and fall with one person, the president, one member of Congress. So regardless of your opinion of who these individuals are, you have to look at how the system is supposed to work. We have a a president and a Congress that have checks and balances against each other. And they're there to ensure that not one person has too much power so that they can't just create all the rules. I'm encouraged by that. And if we get involved and get back to that idea that the system itself is a good system and can balance interests appropriately, I think that we can get back to um, uh, more trust in our institutions and move forward and achieve really good things for our community and for our state. Yes.
0: And what a great privilege and an honor it is to vote. I am reminded often from my dad who served 20 years in the Marine Corps and drilled this into all of us, how many people have fought and died for A right to vote and that most people in the rest of the world spend most of their lives never having this opportunity to be heard. So your voice matters. Please use it and vote. Please connect with Zach or myself so I can connect us and let our voices be heard. I look forward to seeing you back here at the checkup. You can follow me on YouTube or you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. Take good care.